would be a mistake for the Democrats to Benghazi this in a way and just attach to one thing and then run on that. Benghazi as a verb Benghazi. here. That's, yeah. that's, that's, well, you guys gave me a lot of practice. <laughs> Stay tuned, that's just part of what's ahead in our bonus content following this week's edition of In Focus. Exploring the issues that matter most in Indiana, this is In Focus with Dan Spieler. I have formally requested that the special counsel Mueller testify before the House Judiciary Committee as soon as possible. No collusion, no obstruction. This should never happen to another president again. The report is out, but what happens next? Good morning. This Easter weekend, the White House is reacting to the Mueller report, released on Thursday with a number of redactions, as promised. So what are Indiana lawmakers saying about the report and the way it was handled by the Attorney General? Our Nick McGill has the Mueller report reaction. The chances of someone being able to read and understand the full 400-page Mueller report in a day are slim. But that's not stopping Hoosier politicians from voicing their opinions on where the reading might lead. I think we have several instances in what I've seen so far in the 400-page report of attempts to obstruct justice. Democratic Congressman Andre Carson saying while he isn't in a position to make a definitive declaration about the report, one thing is clear. There are still strings to pull on that may lead to criminal activity. So while he may not have been indicted, um, he clearly acted against the interest of the American people. On the other side of the divide... Mueller himself indicated in his report that uh, there was no collusion, mm -hmm. so no illegal conduct, uh, contact between the Trump administration and the Russians. Republican Senator Todd Young distancing the president from any wrongdoing. Instead on Wednesday, calling for investigatory efforts to focus on Russian interference. I think clearly they did interfere in our election, and that's why it's really important for the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence to continue its investigation. I'm sure there'll be details that those folks that want to, you know, use them to continue the conversation that's been out there really since the election in 16, they'll choose to do it. I think most Hoosiers, most Americans would like to move on to other pressing issues. Meanwhile, political experts. It's very complex, it's very nuanced, and 448 pages, there's a lot of detail in there. Say the report realistically gives ammo to both sides, which you can bet will be used, particularly as we head to 2020. This material is far too important, and unfortunately, you know, political parties, politicians are going to try and manipulate it to look a certain way. It's, it's too important to the American public to be sold as one thing or another. All right, that was Nick McGill reporting. Nick, thanks. In a statement, Vice President Pence said, quote, we must never allow our justice system to be exploited in pursuit of a political agenda. While many Democrats will cling to discredited allegations, the American people can be confident the president and I will continue to focus where we always have on advancing an agenda to make our nation stronger, safer, and more secure. We'll have more with our panel on the Mueller report coming up later this morning. Meantime, both President Trump and Vice President Pence will be in Indianapolis later this week for the NRA convention. Both will speak on Friday the 26th. This will be the second time this month the VP has returned home to Indiana. The NRA convention also putting the pressure on state lawmakers to finish this year's legislative session since there won't be any hotel rooms for lawmakers starting on Friday. Now, the budget is one of those issues coming down to the wire at the State House. This week, Indiana teachers rallied there at the Capitol. The budget passed by the State Senate this past week did not include any specifically mandated pay raises for teachers. Some saying they may consider even walking out, as we've seen 
in other states. When it's all said and done, the fact that we can pass a balanced budget is uh, not only in the best interests of the Senate, but more importantly, the best interests of our great state. So I'll ask for your support for the bill. This is a process. Uh, we do a budget, and our budget is always tentative until we have the final April revenue forecast. There's only one bill that has to be passed this session, and that is the budget. I do know that it's a long ways between now and when we have a final budget passed, and there will be a lot of negotiations back and forth between the House and the Senate. Look forward to those negotiations continuing and ending up with the balanced budget at the end of session. Now, that revenue forecast did come back this week. Less money to go around than lawmakers had hoped. We'll see how that plays out in the coming days. Meantime, the gaming bill hitting some potential snags with this controversy first reported by the Indy Star. House Speaker Brian Bosma recusing himself from the bill after the Star reported that Bosma is working with the Vigo County Capital Improvement Board, which supports this bill that, among other things, allows a casino to be built in Terre Haute. Speaker Bosma talked with us about the controversy this week. I'm neither ad advocating for or against the bill. Uh, it's been publicized that I do have a client that, that was actually mentioned in the bill unbeknownst to me until halfway through the session. Now, in a statement, Indiana Democrats said, quote, the culture of corruption runs deep at the State House, apparently all the way up to the Speaker, who's your taxpayers, they say, are sick and tired of the perception that state government is for sale. More on that story later as well. Now to the campaign trail. In this past week, a crowded race for president got even more crowded with an Indiana mayor taking the race by storm. We were there last weekend as Pete Buttigieg made it official. I'm a proud son of South Bend, Indiana, and I am running for president of the United States. It's the mayor's big moment. Now Pete Buttigieg is on the national stage, the military veteran running for president in a crowded Democratic field. I recognize the audacity <laughs> of doing this as a Midwestern millennial mayor. More than a little bold at age 37 to seek the highest office in the land. He's been a really hot phenom on the trail recently. Adam Wren is a contributing editor at Politico and a panelist on In Focus. There's some question is whether he'll be overexposed. It's 11 months before yeah. any votes are cast. At a certain point, you wonder when other 2020 Democrats are going to to turn their fire on him. In recent days, the openly gay mayor has been at odds with Vice President Pence on the topic of marriage and faith. And while Buttigieg was at times critical of President Trump in his remarks, he did not mention the vice president. The Indiana GOP calling out the mayor for that controversy and even for using the Studebaker facility as a backdrop. We just thought it was ironic um, that, that Mayor Pete has chosen a venue, the Studebaker building, that it is solely made possible by the fact that uh, Vice President Pence, while governor, had the Regional Cities Initiative and put the money into that region. Still, supporters here say the mayor's speech made them proud. The overall mood was electric, and I really appreciate the fact that he chose, like I knew he would, South Bend to make the announcement. Awesome. With hope in our hearts and with fire in our bellies, let's get to work and let's make history. Thank you. The rally Sunday here in South Bend was just the start for Mayor Pete. Then it was on to New York City for interviews with major media outlets. And the early voting states of Iowa and New Hampshire, where he's already polling in third place in some of the recent polls. To me, it's about kind of calling people onto the right side of history instead of trying to drag them there. You know, the good news is 
The condition of my soul is in the hands of God, but the Iowa caucuses are up to you. The gentleman today that stood yeah. up and was very passionate about his yeah. beliefs on religion, obviously yeah. different from your own. Yeah. You're going to encounter more of that as yeah. you're out on the trail. How do you feel about what happened here today? Well, it's part of politics. I think it goes best if we can communicate our disagreements respectfully. So especially at this level, you're going to see the good, the bad, the ugly, and the peculiar. And uh, that's, just, that's just part of how it works, and you've got to be prepared for that. Look, the next president is going to have to confront things a lot more challenging than being interrupted or having to talk over a little noise at an event. So uh, it may be irritating, but it's, uh, uh, it's also uh, part of the landscape. Now, the mayor will be back in New Hampshire tomorrow night for a town hall, but not before attending Dingus Day festivities tomorrow morning in South Bend, a tradition the day after Easter that often involves a lot of politics as well. Up next, back to the Mueller report and what it means for President Trump. Our panel joins us next to discuss the report's findings. And later, the mayor of Carmel taking on his opponent and responding to bribery allegations in a debate this past week. Welcome back. Time to bring in our panel right now. 2016 Vice Chair for the Indiana Trump Campaign, Tony Samuel, former Communications Director for the Indiana Senate Democrats, Elise Schrock, former GOP lawmaker Mike Murphy, and Democratic strategist Peter Hanscom, who most recently served as campaign manager for Senator Joe Donnelly's campaign. All right, guys, let's start with the Mueller report here. Tony, Democrats uh, saying that there's a lot more to this report than the AG first suggested. Right. Not, not a big surprise by uh, the tech that the Democrats are using. I mean, they've spent two and a half years and over $30 million from the Mueller investigation attacking and, and the leaks that have come out uh, throughout the whole process are a lot of what you're seeing in this report. So the Democrats But didn't are a lot stick. of that, bear, that reporting bear out to be true in well, the Mueller what, what report? Really and bear, that the president pushed back on? What bared out was that there was no findings of anything criminal, uh, any kind of collusion or conspiracy anything like that. So after two and a half years, everybody really realizes that it was a waste of everyone's time and taxpayer dollars. What's bared out also that is that the president has shown throughout the process what, what we heard saw from his tweets, from his public statements, that he was frustrated that this was going on because he was an innocent man and that, that's a natural reaction throughout the process and it's proved out now. Elise, your reaction? I don't think we can say that nothing happened over the last two years throughout this process because there are very high level um, aides and people who were instrumental to the president's campaign that have been um, found to be guilty of a, a couple of egregious things. Um, so to say that nothing's happened and this was all worthless over the last two years, I, I don't think that's the case because it's, it's borne fruit that's not been great for the Trump campaign as a whole. Mike, is this one of those things uh, people's opinions were already baked in and they viewed well, this they're report already how they in. already Well, they're already baked in. That to come down somewhere in the middle between these two. I would suggest that it is good news for the president, probably the best news he's heard in his two years as president. Um, but at the same time, he was not completely exonerated. Mueller said specifically in the report, if we had said we could exonerate him, we would have said it. We cannot. And he pointed out 10 examples of times when the president tried to obstruct justice and his staff saved him from that. No different from uh, when, when the president tried to get the uh, Korean uh, treaty uh, revoked and uh, uh, Gary Cohn took the executive took order the off, his, off desk his desk so yeah. it wouldn't get signed. So Dan McGahn, a Notre Dame grad, you know, the general counsel, 
refused to uh, to implement an order from the president to ob obstruct fire, justice. To That's exactly Roman right. Law. And so, so it is good news for the president because he was not indicted and there was no uh, evidence of uh, conspiracy. There were a conclusion that was kind of made up by the media for two and collusion. a half years. Yeah, yeah, collusion. That's just kind of a non-word. Non so Peter, where do Democrats go from here? What do they do now with this report? Many have said it looks like a referral to Congress in some ways. What does Congress do? Yeah, certainly I think you have to continue uh, investigation and see, again, to, to Mike's point, right, what are those 10 separate instances that were laid out of, of times that, you know, had the president actually had loyal staff, he probably would have obstructed justice. And, and what does that look like? I think, though, it is important for Democrats to remain focused, though, on 2020. Uh, you know, looking back at, you know, what the electorate, not only here in Indiana, but across the country, the reason why Democrats were successful was not because they promised continued investigations on President Trump. I think it's important to, to follow the facts where they may go, but people are more concerned about whether their health care is going to get taken away, how to raise their wages, and issues that I think Democrats have a better plan on. So it's likely we'll see the AG, the special counsel, uh, have to go in front of Congress and testify. But to Peter's point, is this all basically up to the voters now to decide on in 2020? I, I think so. I mean, I think the Democrats would be foolish to push impeachment. They've already, you know, indicated that they're not going to go that route. They're going to use this as they strategize from the very beginning to try to, to revisit the 2016 election to try to defeat him in 2020. The problem is he didn't do any, uh, any of what was charged, and the folks that were charged were for crimes not related to the campaign. That's an important point. And the other important point is the genesis, the, 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 the way this started, uh, you're going to see charges against Democrats that were involved. That'll come from the Michael Horowitz Inspector General investigation. We'll see what happens there. Let's talk 2020 right now and last weekend's uh, official launch for Mayor Pete Buttigieg. Elise and Peter, you were both uh, in that crowd. Uh, your thoughts uh, on the launch and his first official week out on the trail. Well, the energy there was pretty incredible, Peter. I think you could agree with that. Um, it, there were, uh, when we rolled up, there was already a mile and a half line, uh, a uh, mile and a half long line of people from all cross sections. I had people from, you know, from high school, from, you know, rural Indiana saying, hey, I'm here, are you here? Which I thought was interesting because I also saw my political friends, people from college. It was really great to see a lot of different people come together behind this. Um, I think, you know, over the last couple months, months, there have been a number of measurements that people have said, you know, in this room and in other studios saying he's going to have to do this before people take him seriously. He's going to have to have better name idea. He's going to have to raise money. And he's done all those things and he's made up ground very quickly. There was the moment with the, uh, the hecklers this week, Mayor Pete and his husband, by the way, both sitting down with CBS News anchor John Dickerson for an interview today on CBS Sunday morning. Is it possible his, his momentum is being overstated here at all? Does he run the risk of being overexposed in any way here in the early days of the campaign, as much press as he is getting and then, and then fading away? Well, I think he's doing the right things in the sense he's not saying no to any media interviews, right? So he's not being the prima donna, which is good. That'll, that'll start to tail off. The problem is the media loves to build up people, and then they love to tear them down. That's the business they're in to a large degree. And it happened with Trump. Trump was a product of Believe it or not, CNN's 24-hour coverage. And then when they decided they were tired of him and they could make more money and more clicks off of tearing him down, they started tearing him down. So that's the phenomenon he's going to have to be careful not to get caught up in because there will be scrutiny. It just hasn't happened yet. Peter, I was watching your... Oh, sorry. I was Go ahead. just going to say, I, I, I do agree with you to some extent, but I do think there's a difference between how... 
uh, President Trump and Pete Buttigieg deliver themselves in media uh, scenarios. I also think the key word there is, is President Trump, right? Donald Trump used the media in an effective way and became the president. Yeah. Uh, and I think Pete Buttigieg is doing the exact same thing of granting access, right? Bringing people in and giving them a behind the scenes tour of not only who he is, how he has governed and you know his plans for the country. I was watching your former boss, Senator Donnelly, uh, pretty closely <laughs> in that speech as well because he's in an interesting position, not endorsing at this point, but he wanted to be there to support him. And obviously a lot of Democrats uh, looking at next week, perhaps Joe Biden now may uh, announce he still leads most of the polls by a pretty wide margin. Where does that put someone like Senator Donnelly who might be inclined to support you know, the, a party standard bearer like Joe Biden. Yeah, certainly. I think, I mean, half of the po folks who are running for president right now on the Democratic side used to be Senator Donnelly's colleagues in the Senate. Uh, you know, also on the flip side of that, Pete Buttigieg has gone to lawnmower races in the old second district with Senator Donnelly's son and, you know, campaigned on his behalf aggressively in past elections. So I think you can expect Joe to not make any kind of early endorsements. Um, he'll sit back and watch the field like the rest of us. And as I know you're keeping, to move. you're keeping count. What about uh, 20 candidates here already? 2022, 20, 2024, I think it's up to now when, when, when Biden enters the race. And, and that will put a stop to the the uh, huge media exposure that Pete Buttigieg has, has uh, successfully gotten for himself. Um, but it's going to be, it won't be so much that the CNNs of the world will knock down Mayor Pete, uh, but it'll be the other candidates that start to do so because that uh, uh, national media is more on the Democrat side. So they won't hit him as much as they've hit Trump. Let's also talk about the final week of the session here at the State House. Lots to discuss, the budget talks, the teacher pay issue, this latest uh, casino controversy with the speaker now recusing himself uh, from that gaming bill. What stood out to you this week, Elise? Um. I definitely think we saw the budget forecast come down. Um, we saw a number of amendments offered to the budget that did include raises for teachers that were struck down. I think that's unfortunate. Um, at the beginning of the legislative session, there seemed to be more of a consensus around giving uh, teachers some type of uh, raise, whether, and I think it was from both sides of the aisle, there was some discussion about moving in that direction. The revenue forecast came out. While we are down around, I think, $100 million, it's not that different right. from where it was in December, so I don't know why things What impact will that have, Mike, quickly here before they reach a Well, it could have an impact on, on everything, but at the, in the, in the, on the other side, you've got gambling, which will really dominate the next week, and you could be getting a $50 million plus uh, license fee out of somebody for the Taylor Holt, Taylor Holt license. Right. So they can always they can always find the money. The, the Bosma recusal. I want to be clear that he did follow the law when he recused himself. That's what he so said I, I don't think he deserves earlier some of the hits yeah. he's getting this week. Okay. Well, real quick, we want to tell you as well, lawmakers are discussing a couple of gun-related issues here in the final days of session, including one that's worth discussing here on this Easter Sunday as a lot of people head off to church. It is already legal to carry at church if the church allows you to. Now lawmakers also looking to expand that to include churches that happen to have a school or daycare on property. And like most gun-related legislation, it has been met with some controversy. There's no evidence to suggest that civilians carrying guns inside churches um, is a sound public safety practice. With what we've seen not only in the United States but around the world in attacks on religious institutions, you know, administrators, pastors, congregations want to have the ability to protect themselves against those kinds of attacks.
was currently in a conference committee, so it could still go either way here in the final days. You can watch more of my special report on that topic on Fox 59 News at 10 this coming Thursday, which happens to be the first day of the NRA convention right here in Indy. All right, up next, taking a look at some local races ahead of next month's May primary. Stick around. Two weeks from Tuesday, it's the May primary, and in many Indiana cities, that also means the mayoral primary. In Carmel, two Republican candidates squared off in a debate this past week, with Mayor Jim Brainerd addressing recent allegations that his team bribed opponent Fred Glenn to get out of the race. I've talked to my campaign workers. No one in that campaign offered any campaign money uh, to Mr. Glenn not to run. The purpose of that meeting, I'm told, was to show him the poll numbers and say, do you really want to do this? We're way, way ahead. The person that came to me with that now works for my opponent. He makes ten, He disclosed to somebody when he would, shouldn't have because it was on a contract that he wasn't supposed to, that they're paying him $10,000 a month over a course of four months. I mean, I'm going to tell you that that is an unheard of amount of money in a local campaign. So there's obviously something shady going on there. More on the Carmel mayor's race in the coming weeks. A lot of our panelists kind of snickering about the, the seating arrangement there with the big cushy chairs. Many times in cities like Carmel, uh, it does come down to the Republican primary, so we'll be watching that race. Indianapolis, Lawrence, and Fishers all holding mayoral elections this year. Noblesville and Martinsville will each elect new mayors this year. Stick around. We're back with this week's winners and losers right after this. All right, time for winners and losers. Tony, you're up first. My winner is State Representative David Frizzell. He served in the legislature since 1992, just a man of uh, faith and, and a great leader uh, for the uh, Indiana House of Representatives. Announced his retirement this week, Elise. Indiana Young Democrats got to hold it down for my young dumbs who just opened registration for the national convention that's coming in July. Um, really excited about the programming we're going to announce soon. All right, Mike. Two winners. Uh, President Trump for surviving the week without any further damning allegations, and then Dan McGahn for saving Trump from himself. All right, Peter. I'll go out on a limb here, predict a Pacers victory in just oh, a few short so. hours. Keep so. the series alive. <laughs> all right. Thank you all for joining us this week. Hope you have a great Easter Sunday. We'll see you again next Sunday in Focus. All right, here on the podcast, uh, talking more with our panelists here this week, Peter Hanscom, Mike Murphy, Elise Schrock, and Tony Samuel. Obviously, we were kind of going through the Mueller report. You mentioned Don McGahn's uh, connection to Notre Dame and some of the references to McGahn in the Mueller report. It's also a little bit about Dan Coates in there as well, yeah. uh, talking about how he would not uh, push back publicly when the president apparently asked him, according to the report, uh, to say that uh, you know, he had no connections to Russia. Uh, and then also some other references in there as well about about Coates and, and some of the reporting that was out in that time. Uh, just a lot of, because there are a lot of Indiana names in politics right now, it seems perhaps a lot of also Indiana references there yeah, in the Mueller report. And I think the, the Indiana base, the Hoosier staffers in the White House, actually performed well. They performed ethically, right? They did not break the law. They stopped the president from breaking the law. Now, the whole thing comes down to intent, as, as Mueller said in the report, and they were not able to show that he, there was criminal intent for obstruction of justice. There were just 10 instances where, boy, he, he was pushing hard, right, and people refused. Now, is that the case? You know, on, the good, on, the, on the bad side, you could say, well, there was, there was intent there. He's a bad man. On the good side, you could say it's, a, it's typical of a CEO who's kind of self-absorbed and narcissistic, thinking he can get everything he wants at all time, and not having the experience of any public service, any accountability really, and pushing for something 
when he didn't have the right to push for it and could have broken the law. So who knows what, you can't get in somebody's mind, but it, it was, um, it was difficult. And I guess what sure. we don't know is how will this report be perceived by voters? How will it poll here in the coming days? Do yeah, people and just see what they this, want to see? To be honest, this report, you know, I think you all have been correct when you say there's something that everyone can take from this, right? But there's more to Donald Trump's record than just this report. There's also issues with the border, with how he's handled families coming across. I mean, I, I would hope that moving forward, Democrats work to obviously defeat him at the ballot box. And they do that not just by talking about um, the Mueller report, but talking about other problematic parts of his record, but also what they can put forward as an alternative solution. I think we have some good ones. You've mentioned them as well, Peter. I think um, it would be a mistake for the Democrats to uh, Benghazi this in a way and just attach to one thing and then run on that. Benghazi as a verb Benghazi. here. That's, yeah. that's, that's, well, you guys gave me a lot of practice <laughs> with that one, so. Well, join the national lexicon. <laughs> right, right. Uh, no, I, I just think that, uh, you know, that, that the report is not going to have a big difference, make a big difference. The, the numbers didn't move one way or the other, really, over the course of the last two weeks or whenever it was. Um, you don't unelect a president who has, and I, you know, I'm not a big Trump fan, but I'll tell you that you don't unelect a president who has the lowest, the highest, the lowest unemployment rate in 49 years or the highest employment rate, which they kind of all go together. All the minorities, all, every category is at their highest employment rate ever. And, and people, it's corny, but people do vote, you know, with their wallet, their pocketbook. Do you think the dynamics would be different within the Republican Party in terms of sticking by Trump through all of these controversies if the economy weren't doing as well as it? Absolutely. Yeah. Sure. But I also think there are a lot of people who are one medical bill away from having financial disaster um, upon them. They're, they're, they're employed, but they may be working two or three jobs. Yeah, I so think that's for everyday people, you know, those employment rates and those numbers just feel different. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of people who see, right, the, you know, watch the news and hear about the stock market, and that's the only place they're hearing about it, right? Their, you know, income has stayed stagnant or, or you know, you know, maybe gone up it, less than the cost of living. And so I think those pocketbook issues, along with the cost of health care, the ability to keep health care, right, those were the driving issues in the ways that the Democrats took control back of Congress in 2018. I think, you know, I would argue that's really where we should keep our focus uh, moving into 2020, because the administration has shown that they're ready to double down on those incredibly unpopular policies and push them even more aggressively. Well, if speaking of pocketbook issues, as it relates to the state of Indiana, we just got our revenue forecast here, and some of that revenue forecast said they were expecting the national economy to maybe tick back a little bit. I, you know, hard to say. Uh, we're not economic forecasters up here. Certainly Could not. that hurt the <laughs> president going into 2020 if the economy does take a slight step back? I don't think it will. Uh, GDP growth has continued to, to um, uh, be at the level that the president predicted, but nobody else did. Uh, in the 3.5, between 3 and 3.5. I think that's going to continue. I also have to disagree with Peter on wages. Wages have increased steadily every month over the last uh, two and a half so years that the president's been in, and wage, the wage increase is higher, uh, the highest that it's been in the last decade. You, you, you're hearing all kinds of stories about manufacturing coming back, about plants being opened, about uh, people going back to work, about the middle class and the, the average uh, manufacturing type of job 
uh, uh, folks, you know, th those increasing. So uh, I think the economy is strong all around across every level, like, like Mike said, and that is going to be a driving force. But other driving forces are, look, we haven't uh, been involved in any new wars. Uh, the public sees what the president's doing to try to keep North Korea checked and try to reach a, an agreement with them. Uh, I mean, all across, for, uh, all across uh, different issues, he's winning and he's keeping his uh, campaign pledges. So there's that. And then going back to the report, he acted, in my opinion, and I think in, in the general public's opinion, as a person that was innocent in the first place, was faced with this uh, investigation based on uh, false charges, and he, he being a person that wants to get things done and has an aggressive agenda, naturally he's going to be uh, frustrated throughout the process. But he kept moving forward and he kept getting things done. Obviously a lot in that report that will continue to be uh, parsed through. Um, where does all of this uh, go now? Uh, everyone re read what they want to see and move on to move on to 2020. Move on to, yeah, to the I next th step. I, mean, I think we'll see, and I think you know, this president has. There's been a lot of chaos that has come with this presidency, and I think that is wearing down on the public. I think they're looking for an America that they can fight for, someone they can fight with that uh, takes us into the future collectively and not so um, doesn't pit people against one another and I think that's why you know he has had a lot of great uh, strategic um, uh, a lot of great strategies that he's put into play but I think that's why Pete Buttigieg is speaking so well to middle America he's reminding people of something that we can work on together um, we can accomplish these goals we can try to have great foreign policy where we're not entering another war we can bring uh, we can help make sure that those who are in manufacturing are finding ways to fit into a new economy but we're doing it together and we're not pitting Americans against other Americans to Tony's point on on Pete Buttigieg uh, with Joe Biden it looks like getting into the race next week what does that do to the Buttigieg momentum to the campaign um, what will we see here as we start to see these candidates perhaps on a debate stage together in the, over the course of the next couple of months? Yeah, I, excuse me, I don't think it really changes much of the profile of, of Pete Buttigieg. I think one of the biggest assets that he has is he's nearly half the age of Joe Biden, right? And that, that's not going to change by Joe Biden getting in the race. And in fact, I think may come even, excuse me, may become even more pronounced, right? The, the difference in age. Um, so, you know, I think Pete will continue to hit the road hard and he, he's shown, right, he's no stranger to the trail um, in terms of getting out there, you know, providing the access. I think access will continue to be his friend. I think, I'm not sure which one of you said it, but I, I think it will start to tighten up a bit. Um, but he's, he's used, you know, his own storytelling ability um, in, the, in the right way. And I think the way that, that Pete is in tune with something and he, you know, he speaks very clearly, very concisely, but also in a way that, you know, is simple and easy for folks to understand. Now, Tony was talking, gave some great, and I think the president has some of these, right, some wonderful anecdotal examples of economic growth, of financial stability, of, you know, things they're doing in the health care. But in all the polling that I had, you know, seen in, in 2018 and, and continued as we move into the next cycle, when you ask folks generally, right, how's the country doing? How's the state doing? Um, the marks are, are pretty high. But when you drill down into it and you say, well, how about your family, right? H how about, you know, your family and, and the people that you know? The answers kind of get dialed back a little bit and are like, well, you know, 
I could be doing better, right? I see it on TV and I, I see it all the time. So if, if there's a candidate that can actually speak to that and make that individual connection about, yes, I, I th we're, you know, we want to collectively move together in the right direction, um, but, but I've got a plan for you. Um, I've, got a, I've got a way to help people like you. I think that's the candidate at the end of the day, whether it's President Trump or the Democratic nominee, that's the candidate who will win. This week we did hear President Trump uh, for the first time perhaps acknowledge uh, Mayor Buttigieg. He was talking about kind of handicapping the field. He said he thought it was going to be Biden or Sanders, but maybe that mayor from Indiana. And he <laughs> said he'd enjoy, he'd enjoy that race going be, up against him. It would be quite a race. There's two mistakes the Democrats have to avoid. One is the Democratic House cannot just investigate Trump ad nauseum. The public's going to view this report as being the final word, for better or for worse, and it's time to move on. The other thing they have to avoid is continuing this circular firing squad they're starting to develop. That's how President Obama referred to it yeah, as well. Yeah, it's, it's like what, what uh, Buttigieg has been criticized now for four years ago, somewhere in maybe New Hampshire or somewhere, saying that all lives matter. And so now he's apologizing for saying it. Well, all lives do matter. I hate to, hate to break the news, but all lives matter. And, and so for for the Democrats to pick on him for something he said four years ago, which was not only four years ago, but correct, they've, they've got to focus on issues and stay away from uh, the stupidity that the Republicans engaged in 2016. Yeah, I might just add, uh, Mike touched on it well, um, what we're really going to see is, is a, a fight between uh, any kind of centrist Democrat, if, if Biden comes in as that, which is what he is, what he's been perceived to be or the progressive wing, which is everybody else. And so will he uh, try to reach out to the Midwestern voter, the, the industrial wor worker, the manufacturer, and stick with the centrist theme, which is really his theme, or will he be swayed, I think we've seen it a little bit already, further to the left, which will be pretty disingenuous. But he's going to get attacked by that left, so he's going to be tempted to do that. You know, if I were uh, Biden and I had to face Buttigieg, I'd say the same thing that uh, Reagan said about Mondale, I'd say I'm not going to use this guy's youth against him. <laughs> could be a good line <laughs> on, the, on the stage. We'll see yeah. when they all meet up on the debate stage. Any uh, final observation about the week in politics here in Indiana or beyond, uh, Peter? As we wrap it up next here. week at the, you know, I'm, these guys are the expert on the state house, so I hope they're all buckled in. This is when the sausage week. actually gets made. This That's is when right. the decisions are made and things happen by the minute. Well, uh, they either, so. either got to get out of there uh, before the NRA comes yes, in, right. or maybe right. come back the Monday after yeah. the NRA is here. Yeah, there so are a lot of people sitting in that hallway, uh, keeping their fingers crossed that their issue and that their bill uh, stays alive by deadlines, and also it doesn't get totally chopped up when it comes. There to might conference. be a lot of bills that get chopped. There up will be. There could be. But Bosma, one thing I've always been impressed about Bosma, he's a very efficient administrator. And he, when he says he's going to get something done, he gets it done, you know, as far as the time schedule goes. Uh, watch gambling. Gambling is going to dominate next week. I don't care what anybody says, it's going to dominate. Elise? Yeah, we are at that point in session where there's a crunch, but I mean, they've already had a, they've opened the conference committee for 1001, the budget, which I thought was, yeah, I mean, they're kind done. of ahead of schedule yeah. there, which means there's some behind the scenes negotiating mm -hmm. going on right now. So we'll see that. Um, hopefully, I am one of the people in the hallway that's kind of hoping that maybe we could wrap this up soon um, and, and that, that uh, everyone has uh, some successes there. I know you hang out in the hallways as well there, Tony. They I keep do. saying this budget bill, they say it every budget year, this is the only bill we have to do right, is the budget. Right. Well, and I think they've been working all weekend. They'll be working yeah. tonight. And then we've heard uh, get everything done by Monday even. I mean, uh, they, they want to get done by Wednesday, but that budget... Uh, it's crunch time. Everybody's uh, at, at a, in a kind of a frenzied 
pace and uh, hopefully things work out for us at least. All right, we'll follow all the developments here as Tony and Elise will uh, hanging out in the hall. Thanks for joining us here. We'll see you again next Sunday in Focus. Hope you have a great Easter weekend.